welcome to the Horrible Things Podcast, guys. This is a true crime and disaster podcast where I talk about all things horrible, whether it be a murder, whether it be an oil spill, whether it be a building collapsing, just anything that generally makes you cringe. Um, <laughs> my name is Emma Sexton. I'm the host of the show, and today I'm joined by... Michael Karabit. Michael Karabit. How are you? How's your day? I, you know what? It's... Okay. I'm stressed out <laughs> about editing my thesis. I, I'm surprised to hear you say, like, like, this is a horrible things podcast, but you're dancing yeah. so happily during the theme music. Do you do that every time? Yeah, because the theme music just slaps so hard that I can't not. Ah. I love that song. Go ahead. I, I couldn't I, think of anything else to say. Ah. I jam to it. Ev- like, every time I get to listen to that song, my day is a little better. But, dude, uh, I know. yourself, you are. <laughs> I didn't write it. My dad wrote it though oh okay that's sweet yeah but i just i like oh fun fact actually about that song so it's actually called sequences and my dad wrote it in the 80s on a keyboard and an eight track so that song is actually like 30 years old 40 years old but it's just never it's, seen the it's light finally of day getting played yeah, right now exactly so that's a fun fact about sequences. But um, anyway, I was going to say. We could talk more about th- I want to hear more <laughs> about your one hit wonder dad. Well, here's the thing. He was in like so many bands in the 80s, like a lot, but not like super popular ones. He just played while he was in high school and college. He played guitar and sang. And I also sing, but I played piano, not the guitar, which he's a little bit disappointed by. But um, he's very like musical. He was in a band called Rise. Um, he mm. was in a band called... Uh, the Hip Flexors, a band called oh, Cherry Something. This is, but it was amazing. Band like, names he just used to, <laughs> come to your dad. Like he, he just knows record, good band names. Yeah, he's amazing. He used to like record all all their stuff too, and just like he was the mastermind behind it. But it's so funny because he always told us that since Rise, which was his college band, he went to Virginia Tech. Since there, like music was so loud, and like they would do lots of covers of like Duran Duran and stuff like that. They played really loudly. One of their biggest crowds is always they would play at Gallaudet University. Do you know what that is? No. It's an all deaf university. <laughs> and wait. Hang on. <laughs> they would play at Gallaudet because they played so loud that they could, like, it was popular with the deaf community because you could feel, the, like, when deaf people listen to music, it's all through vibration. Right. And since they played so loud, it was just, like, hugely popular among the deaf community, which actually oh led me to write a script about a guy who, um, <laughs> I'm on a tangent here, but no, led me to going. write a script about this guy who's in a band and he's trying to get this one guitar solo down and he can never do it. And then the one time he actually does it, it's while he's playing at Gallaudet University. So nobody actually hears him play the solo perfectly, but he does it. Oh my god! <laughs> and then he can that's never like, do it again. That's like... Do you want people to hear that you did it or do you want people to know that you did it? Yeah. Like, well, to just believe it. I just like, I I was in, um, I thought that was cool because I took ASL all through high school and like I absolutely love deaf culture. And I just Here's think what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say that they played so loud that they could start hearing again. And I was like, <laughs> whoa, no. what, the, no. <laughs> how loud were they playing? It's like. <laughs> It's like the marching band episode of SpongeBob where that it's just like is, I got to tell you that is good. not how deafness works. <laughs> I I didn't think so. Yeah. Do you not know, to come like, off as ableist or anything but d- Yeah, honestly like the thing is people are always like the thing that is so cool is that 
I never knew this before I was taking ASL, but like deaf people have like a whole community, like a whole culture around, like just how any other language has a culture around it. Like right. deaf people have a culture around ASL, around like, I mean, in Orange County, there's a huge deaf population. Like people don't realize that, but there are a lot of deaf people in Orange County. And it's just like the most amazing culture and just like stuff you would have never, I would have never known about it had I not taken right. it in high school. But it's also funny because it, I realize now that it's literally like amazing language, amazing culture, not helpful at all for being able to talk to people <laughs> from another country because well, it's yeah, American it's, it's sign language. Sign language. <laughs> so I literally like because they have like BSL, FSL, yeah. you know, BSL, by the way. I could talk to FSL, which is French ASL or French, French sign language. ASL. French ASL is really similar to ASL. So I could talk to a deaf French person, but I could not talk to a deaf British person because the BSL is so different. That's interesting. Like what's yeah. the what's the difference between American and British sign language? Like is it just the, the numbers are different, the letters oh, are really? different, all the signs are different. Wow. Yeah. So it's not I mean, every country has their own sign language pretty much. Like, um, my friends went on a mission trip uh, this past summer, like kind of a mission trip, I say, but more it was like a service trip because they just went to like build houses and stuff. And while they were there, um, they were at a deaf school and it was in the Philippines. So everyone, they learned like PSL because everyone just spoke in uh, Filipino sign language. Wow. Yeah. So they came back like knowing how to sign and it's actually also very similar to ASL like just slightly different hand shapes and stuff but it, it's really cool. That And see and now I'm thinking about how I just struggled so many years trying to learn like beginner Spanish with all the cognates that it has to English and I couldn't follow along with it but now learning that sign language has so many it's, it's compatible with so many other languages in sign language. Yeah ASL is cool also because I feel like um, it's kind of like when you go to another country, like if you try to speak their language even a little bit, people will like appreciate you so much more and like try to speak back to you. And like it's very um, people are surprised if you even try to do something other than other than English. And like I used to work at a restaurant and occasionally we'd have deaf people come in. And when I would sign to them, it would just like make their whole day because they're so not used to people. Like usually when people meet deaf people, they just try to talk louder not understanding right. like that doesn't work and so when someone can like sign to the, to them usually it's like such a big deal because like at least you're trying and most people just don't try at all so it's yeah. really really fun really nice that's the thing it's like if i go out to dinner with my family or anything like if we go out to i've never been at a restaurant where the server was speaking like asl or anything but if we go to like for example a mexican restaurant my white stepdad will try to speak horribly broken Spanish to try and mm. relate to the to the server. It's a Even different if he, thing if you're in the United States yeah. sometimes, I feel like. That's the thing, because it's just like, I, I always am just like, Frank, stop, please. But Don't. I would use, at, um, at the restaurant I worked at, I would try to use my terrible broken Spanish to talk to the cooks because they didn't speak English at all. So I feel yeah. like it just depends on like it's, it depends on the it's context. If you you try to speak Spanish to a person who works at a Mexican restaurant and they speak perfect English and they've lived in the United States all their lives, it's kind of yeah. offensive. Vaguely. Like he, if they come up to us speaking English, we don't have to try to. Yeah, speak exactly. Another language. He's just like I don't even speak Spanish. When like, we went to my family went to Japan though, and let me tell you, almost everyone we met could speak pretty good English. 
but we would always have to try first because they were embarrassed about their English and didn't want to right. talk to us. So then when they heard our horrible Japanese, then they <laughs> they like had pity on us because our right. Japanese was so bad. That's what it was like when I went to Puerto Rico over uh, uh, winter break. Everyone, everyone in Puerto Rico, or pretty much everyone in Puerto Rico, is bilingual Spanish and English. Yeah. But Spanish is the default language for most people. So anybody who I came across, like if I went into a restaurant or something, they would default to speaking in Spanish. And then as soon as they realized I had no idea what they were saying because I'm not fluent in Spanish, then they would quickly convert to English. And it was like, it, it was a fun two weeks. Yeah, that's trying crazy. Trying to navigate that language. If you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go? Um, I, I think I would probably want to go to Japan or South Korea. I was, that's my answer. South Korea? South Korea, if I could go anywhere. Because I've been very, like, fortunate to, I've been to Italy, England, Japan, and France. I have not been to, okay, so I was born in Kuwait, which is a tiny country in the Middle East, right next to Iraq. I know where it is. Okay. Uh, Well, the listeners might not. I don't know. No, that was me giving you, like, ah, I know where it is. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was surprised I knew where it was. (laughs) It was like, I know I feel like I don't know where many things are, and I was very... Happy that I did. Okay, this is a wonderful bonding experience. hundred um, <laughs> percent. I was born, so I was born in Kuwait, and when I was like two years old, we moved to the United States, and okay. I have not left the United States since then. So you're like so, not really a world traveler, but in a sense, right? Right. You have. I'm yeah, because I'm a I'm a dual citizen between the U.S. and Kuwait, so it's like if I went back to Kuwait, I would have no problems getting there, and like. I, I mean, I would just take my passport. I wouldn't have to go through like. Do they speak Arabic in Kuwait? Yeah, they do. There's in the Middle East. I I I don't want to try and say more than I know for a fact, but there's different like, in the same way that like Spanish has different dialects depending on what yeah. country. Like in Latin America, uh, the Middle East is the same way. There's different dialects of Arabic. Yeah, you know, it's funny. My friend has kind of a similar situation where he moved from Egypt when he was like three. And he literally has not left the country since. He's never been to Egypt, but he can speak fluent Arabic. So he plans to go back because he's like, it would be easy for me to like be there. But I just have never gone. Like my parents don't want to go back. Well, I have so much family there. Like even my, my dad lives there right now. He's got his whole side of the family is from there. Like they're all over the world, but there's a huge Karabit population in Kuwait. So... <laughs> If you see like an uptick in listeners for this episode in particular, it's all my family. That's amazing. Wow. Oh, we they searched our name and then they found me. So why would you say Japan or South Korea? I think good choices. Japan is beautiful. Like seriously, I think so much history and I agree. Those are the main reasons why. Because like, I mean, I would want to go to countries in Europe as well, but like Japan and South Korea, I love um, Japanese art and Korean cinema. Um, I actually. I was supposed to yeah. go to, I was supposed to go to um, the Busan Film Festival last year. Hey. Ch- Chapman does a trip every year. What? In case you're in case you're looking at at, at doing anything like that, but I didn't. What? Unfortunately, I didn't have the chance to go because I had other like conflicts with classes and stuff. But it's it's just remarkable, like especially and I, I've been shouting out, I've been singing the praise of Parasite ever since I saw yeah. it. So it's been fresh on my mind, but also I just really think it's. Um, it's an artistic culture, and I really think that they celebrate and they really appreciate art, and I and I, I would really want to get a feel for that. Yeah, I was gonna. I would also say, like I, my past, like if I could go anywhere in the world was England because I just like I love, um, 
I'm an English minor. So like going and seeing like the Globe and where Shakespeare lived and right. going to Liverpool and seeing like where all the Beatles performed. That was like my my number one. Like I wanted to do that. But then I saw England and then I started learning more about like other countries and um, specifically entertainment because I just right. think that like South Korea, everything they do in entertainment is like thriving right now. And they're like Definitely. taking over um, the entire entertainment industry. I mean, like K-pop and Korean cinema and everything like and Korean food even like it takes over everything. And I just like I'm here for it because I feel like everything they do is just like so good. Like, everything is so good. And I um, one of my favorite YouTube channels is Jolly. I don't know if you've heard of them no. or Korean Englishman, but it's basically this guy who's British, but he uh, like lives in Korea some of the time. And he's, like, super awesome and funny. And just the way that, like, people there, I guess, talk, the people that go talk about their experiences, it's always, like, such an amazing thing. And I just want to go there so bad. The closest relationship that I have to Korea to this point in history is um, when I used to be in marching band. And I've talked about my experience with you personally, but I am also a musician. To go back yes. to the topic we were talking about about, what, 10 minutes ago at this point. Um, one summer I was on the road, I was touring the country with a, a, a drum corps and part of our show was a K-pop song. Which with, song? With themes of Into the Woods. So our show was about Into the Woods. <laughs> what? And we did a K-pop song by a group called GOT7. Have you heard of them? No. So yes, Go yes. So, Wait, so no. GOT7 <laughs> is like, a, it's a K-pop boy band. I think there are seven members that make sense if they're called GOT7. And they have a song called I Like You, and it repeats the phrase in Korean, I like you, I like you, I really like you. And what is, we did, do you know how it goes in Korean? No. I, it, it has like a really, when you start the song, when you listen to it, it has a really like high-pitched sample that's repeating the phrase I like you. Um, and we did it, we were doing Into the Woods, like storybooks coming to life, and we cool. had all the guys in the color guard were dressed up as like the big bad wolf. And we had Little Red Riding Hood, and they did the the dance that the band does in their music video. They did the actual dance to, like, tempt Little Red Riding Hood. That's amazing. Those it, are hard dances, usually. Yeah. I'm shocked. They were... It was impressive. We... It was... It's kind of a hilarious thing. Like, I, I look back on that show now, and it, it looks kind of goofy, but it was really fun to perform. Yeah, K-pop is just, like... I find idol culture so interesting, and also just, like... Have you ever watched, like, a, a music video for, uh, say, like, BTS? You know who BTS is? I've heard of BTS. So they're, like, the, the most videos. popular, like, K-pop group. I mean, mm -hmm. like, of men, you could argue that, like, Blackpink is the most popular, but BTS is the most popular. Okay. Literally, their fans are called The Army. <laughs> like, it's wild. But um, they're... Oh. They are, um, Army, I love you. Please don't leave hate on this podcast. But, um, I mean, it are, sounds like you don't want to, I don't want to start a fight with the Army. No, called the Army. No, 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 no. Uh, but, um, their, their latest music video, I swear to you, it looks more like a movie than a music video. Like, and I have seen a lot of good music videos. Like, I saw, I thought Harry Styles' Adore You is great. I think a lot of music videos by The Regrets are great. I think, I like, like there's strike. so many music videos that I love. But this, more than anything else I've ever seen, like, the craziest music video ever. It's so good. Like, so cinematic. 
everything about it looks more like a Netflix special than like an actual. Is it's it one crazy. of those music videos where it's like, you know how some music videos will like have a narrative that opens it before so the song starts? So all of their music videos together are a storyline. Oh, they're all connected. Yeah. Shared universe. Yeah. The BTSCU. <laughs> BTSCU, yes. The BTS you heard cinematic it here first. universe. But yeah, they're like, they're, I don't know. I just feel like Korea just dominates entertainment, especially right now. And I want to be in that. I want to, I want to see that. Like the way that they say, if you're going into business, you should learn Mandarin. I feel like if you're mm. going into entertainment, you should learn how to speak Korean. Well, I took a class last semester that basically one of the um, guests that we had is a reporter for E! Entertainment. Dang. Um, and she graduated from Chapman and like one of the first jobs she had was, I, I believe it was uh, as a reporter in Singapore. Oh, there's that's a, cool. There's a lot of uh, countries that have English speaking entertainers and reporters and there's a, a huge job market, but a lot of people don't take those opportunities because they don't want to leave the country. So yeah. I would I would totally move to another country, <laughs> like even like just for the opportunity, like it's it's worth it. I think at this point, even if it's oh, 100%. If it doesn't pay any differently than you would make working in California or anywhere in the U.S. Probably cheaper to live there, though, than in California. <laughs> anywhere yeah. is cheaper than California, it feels like. Uh, yeah. But let's really not talk about that. housing prices in California. Oh, is that not what this podcast is about? I, no. That's Actually, a horrible what were, thing. What were we talking about before? Because we were talking about something and then I was like, oh, my gosh, we need to start the podcast. This is too good. We were talking about Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So I don't know shout if this is to, rumor Can we or fact. shout out the, the person that we were talking about? Oh, yeah. Okay. So basically, guys, here's the story. I, I really hope he never hears this. Basically, we can use this, his, uh, his pseudonym. Yeah, we'll use the pseudonym. Basically, there's this kid in my dorm and every this is such funny like i can't believe i'm talking okay whatever there's we're this here. kid in my no dorm that everyone is obsessed with like i'm ha- i've been happily in a relationship for like two and a half years but this kid everyone is obsessed with him i'm not kidding girls i've never met before have come up to my roommates and something and been like i'm obsessed with french boy because basically there's this kid in the dorms who is a student who came from Paris, and everyone just calls him French Boy. He has a name. I'm not going to say Timothy it. It's Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> no, but everyone calls him French Boy. I think partially because he's a, he's an attractive person, and partially because of the hype around Timothy Chalamet that this has just popped off in the dorms that there's French Boy. You you say he's an attractive person, <laughs> but then you showed me his Instagram. <laughs> We're not going to roast him. He's, no. He's attractive. I was, he, well, I had built up in my head that he was going to look like Timothy Chalamet. Oh, and he, that's, he doesn't look like Timothy Chalamet. So, of course, I was disappointed. Yeah. Well, it's not his yeah. fault. No, it's not his fault. He's he's a good looking guy, but, you know, Timothy Chalamet. But anyway, that's a roast. Nobody, poor can, French boy. nobody can hold a candle. But basically, to a everyone's obsessed yeah, like, with him. Um, and what was I saying? I was l- saying how. What can, what, then about, we, we switched on to the topic of Timothy Chalamet, I think, because of the same thing. We were talking yeah. about like how uh, people are obsessed with Timothy Chalamet and the hype has transferred all the way here to Southern California and this poor French kid. Which, by the way, I saw Little Women and it's like, wow, this is Little Women. It's it's Timothy Chalamet's movie. Like, yeah, It's all about great. him and the women are obsessed with him. And Florence I'm like, Pugh is that? great in that film. She, yeah. Ah, Sir Ronan. My hand. <laughs> okay, anyway. so Underrated um, movie of the year, I think. So basically, we're talking about Timothy Chalamet and coronavirus. Guys, big topic all over the world, I'm sure. Everyone has an opinion on coronavirus. 
personally, I'm against it. Oh, it's because <laughs> you said that Timothy Chalamet gave NYU chlamydia. Yes. Okay. So I was saying how um, like coronavirus, people spreading apparently. coronavirus is like Timothy Chalamet spreading chlamydia at NYU. And Michael was surprised by this. You've never heard about this? Well, I, I'd never heard about this. And then you told me you got into NYU. So I was like, is the reason you didn't go because Timothy no. Chalamet gave chlamydia <laughs> I, to the school? No, the reason I didn't go is because it's too, it's too expensive for out-of-state students. But um, <laughs> I'm almost glad I didn't go because, I don't know, can chlamydia be spread through, like, coughing? I don't know anything about chlamydia. Coughing? I don't <laughs> I, I don't think so. Anyway, anyway. Unless, uh, no, I'm not going to go there. Okay, yeah. you got to cough a from a certain... Okay. Okay. Anyway, anyway, this is not going the direction I was hoping it would. I'm so sorry, guys. But anyway. Well, thank you for joining me for my first and last appearance on this podcast. The Kravitz are all shaking their head in Kuwait. They're they're disowning me as we speak. No, he's not a Kravitz. We don't. No, but we don't know her. But anyway, I heard. Now this could be true. I heard. I read somewhere that Timothy Chalamet like came out and said this wasn't true. But I really hope that it is because it's hilarious. And a lot of NYU students said it's true. But basically, the whole thing is that Timothy Chalamet. Uh, and I am not endorsing this as an official theory. No, we're just reporting <laughs> what we heard. Yeah, exactly. I heard that Timothy Chalamet gave chlamydia to one person, and that person gave it to another person, and then there was an epidemic of chlamydia at NYU in Columbia that purportedly began with Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> so then everyone started going around saying Timothy Chalamet gave NYU oh chlamydia. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't even care if it's true. I just love it's that so story. so good. I, I know. I, I, I want somebody here to write that screenplay and cast Timothy Chalamet <laughs> as himself. <laughs> giving everyone chlamydia? Giving everyone chlamydia. Can you imagine? And then there were all these jokes about I don't know whether to be disgusted or slightly proud that I have Timothy Chalamet's disease. I mean, I feel like they should put that on like the brochures <laughs> when people are Timothy prospective Chalamet students. Timothy gives chlamydia here. Guaranteed. <laughs> oh my gosh. Or your money back. <laughs> I can't that's, even. My ribs hurt. That's enough for you oh, good to pass up. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's just so funny. Like the concept of it, because he's so famous. Why would he go to NYU if he knew he had well, chlamydia? Now, now the bigger question is, who gave Timothy Chalamet chlamydia? <gasps> Was it oh. Florence Pugh and Little Women? <laughs> my hand. <laughs> Oh my God, what was on her hand? <laughs> okay, we changed the topic. We These are all horrible topic. things that they we're talking about. They, they, they fit, they're on brand. This is, don't shake anyone's hand. Don't um, wash be, your be hands. safe, guys. I saw, talking about coronavirus, I saw somebody talk about like, oh, they tell us to cough into our elbows so that we don't spread coronavirus. But then they also say don't shake hands. So like people are tapping elbows and coughing into the elbows. So they just... <laughs> We just we moved up the win. arm. We can't win. Next thing you know, people are just going to be holding in their coughs and then breathing on each other. <laughs> Everyone's just going to be really tense. <laughs> Degree. <laughs> we won't know if we're holding in a cough or if we're Have holding you noticed? in a, like, constipated. Yeah. <laughs> and then people are just going to say, this is how you'll, gre- you'll greet people. <sighs> <laughs> You know, <laughs> here's an interesting fact. How, about how do you me. say that in ASL? <sighs> <laughs> oh you know, here's an interesting fact. You, 
I, I have never laughed this much on an episode though, so already congratulations. Oh, thank you. But I have never been, I don't laugh out. And now you guys are never going to be able to unhear this, but when I laugh, it's like an inward laugh. Do you laugh, laugh. in? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, hear that? It's I've horrible. Heard, I've heard that. <laughs> That's it's, another horrible thing. There you oh, go. It's like a, it's, it's, oh. It's like a seal laugh. Yeah. It's, it's, like, <clears throat> it's, it's like you can't breathe. Yeah, no, that's how it feels too. Really, it feels like whenever I laugh, I'm I'm like almost dying, and that's a metaphor. Oh my gosh! <laughs> if this is how the episode ends, <laughs> oh, if this is how the series ends. Is Emma dies, and from someone laughing. else reports on everyone who's ever been on the show gets was... into a big circle and reports on my case. Oh, it's a big who done it? Exactly. Oh, it had to gosh. be someone who did it from the podcast because there were. There, someone wrote, don't do horrible things on the mirror in my blood. I, Honestly, that's horrifying. I'm not manifesting I, that. I'm I, pulling it out of the ether. <laughs> I, I feel like, no, this is a great idea. We're writing this down. We're we're not going to really kill you, but we're going <laughs> to I was going to say, it doesn't no, 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 sound no. so great to me. <laughs> to any and all uh, law enforcement entities, <laughs> it was not a threat. <laughs> Jokes don't hold up in court, as Mr. John Mulaney said. That's, yeah. When you read the transcript... Have you heard that Bill Burr bit where it's like he's talking about like um, the context of like if no means no. And this is going to sound really offensive because he goes like, you know, no is a no. But if it's like, no, stop. What are you doing? Oh, my God. Like like coyly. But when you read the transcript, it's like, your honor, she said, no, stop. What are you doing? I can't believe you. you this is the straightest face you have given me this whole time. And I feel really uncomfortable. You know, I don't know how I feel about Bill Burr, and I'm not sure. I'm not saying that I. I don't <laughs> even know who him. that is, but I, I He's weirdly like when you said his name, a negative connotation popped up into my mind. But I don't know if that's <laughs> if that's true or if I'm mistaking him for someone else. I feel this like is, I might be mistaking him for. This is a special. This joke that I just quoted came from a special that the professor played in a class that I took last semester, and everyone was very uncomfortable <laughs> i feel so i don't know why i thought repeating it now would go better <laughs> i feel like i was thinking of bill o'reilly oh my god <laughs> you know here's a fun fact about B- bill o'reilly and my family oh please so do my family i grew up in missouri so okay very conservative household okay and both my dad and my grandmother on my mom's side were like obsessed with fox news so i grew up watching that all over the place and bill o'reilly was like a household name for mm-hmm. us and one year for my birthday my grandma got me the o'reilly factor for kids like what is the o'reilly factor for kids i don't know i didn't read it <laughs> i told is it, it was a book it was a book <laughs> it was a book you know, that's like oh y- you know young my day, conservative they just children that, are supposed to read this back in my day they just called that brainwashing that's yeah. might be different now it's we, when I was a kid. We've come a long way. When I was a kid, we didn't read politics. We just read the backs of the cereal boxes, <laughs> like, and that's that's on the honest truth. Like you, when I was a young kid, that's pretty much all I oh, read. If there was a maze on the back of the cereal box, that's oh, you bet. That was bet. I would just the best was oh gosh, it was. They should put politics on the back of cereal boxes. That way, I, kids get informed. I can't remember. Exactly what it was, but it was like I think it was Fruit Loops or something, and you would do anagrams, and that was like my favorite thing ever. I loved anagrams then. I love anagrams now, and I am an English minor. See, it's so funny that Fruit Loops would put 
anagrams and like word puzzles on their box when they don't know how to spell the word fruit. It's spelled with two O's. Do any cereals know how to spell Cap'n Crunch? That's Cap'n not real. Crunch. He's also not a captain. According oh, yeah. to his uniform, right? He's like a sergeant or something, right? He's it's stolen valor. Why hasn't anybody ever gotten Captain <laughs> Crunch with stolen valor? <laughs> well, Sergeant Crunch doesn't have the same. Lieutenant Crunch. He <laughs> doesn't have the same flow to it as Captain Crunch. I don't know. Lieutenant's pretty crunchy. Honestly, Captain doesn't have a ring at all. They're just counting on the fact that people would just automatically say Captain. I Yeah. I, I would love to see Tom Hanks in Cap'n Phillips. <laughs> I am the Cap'n now. Oh <laughs> okay, we. I think we need to move. We need to get on to this case. We've been talking for like 28 minutes. Oh, it does not is, feel like it was that long. Time but flies when Time flies when Timothy Chalamet is given NYU chlamydia. <laughs> chlamydia flies when Timothy Chalamet is at NYU. Oh my gosh, Timothy, I'm so sorry. King, I would never destroy your name like this. Timothy, <laughs> Blame if, Michael Karabit. If you, if you are somehow listening to this podcast. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> you know what? If 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 you got that endorsement. That would be pretty amazing. You should Honestly, have him on and then he can yeah, roast Timothy me. Timothy actually roast me on Twitter, but make sure to include my at. <laughs> uh, then I'll be okay with it. I've All decided right. I'm okay with it. Okay. So today. Oh, we got bullet points now. It's official. We got bullet points. We got notes. Shorter episode today because you, it's just so depressing. I couldn't research it for as long as I wanted to. Oh, I'm not kidding. This is the hard. I brought on someone who's hilarious and this is the hardest episode <laughs> to joke about. Like, I'm not kidding. Oh, okay. Oh, Wait. Right. The mood is going to go down so quick. So do you want me to like try and still be funny you throughout know, this? Or just I would watch yourself okay. because it's hard. We're doing a trial murder. Okay, so. Silence is deafening. Yeah, so just try. Uh, the the boss was me thinking, oh, major quick. And I yeah, it's a hard thing to joke about, but you know what? There are There's one thing I wanted to make. You can joke about the killers. Yeah, I'm going to joke about the child. That would be wrong. Wrong. Yeah, yeah you could say that's, that's a pretty bold stance. That's, that's chapter one in the O'Reilly. Do not make fun of kids and get murdered, but you can sit in the rest of and that's O'Reilly proof. You can lock kids in cages if they're trying to enter a country. Yeah. No, we're not going to talk about this. No. But, um. What was I going to say? Oh, so the person I almost did this case on, the person I almost did this case on was a guy who killed elderly people, like six elderly people. And first of all, I scratched the idea because I was like, you know, I wouldn't do this to case, but maybe it's not the right time. Corona and all that, mm. you know, talking about killing the elderly is just <laughs> not on my list of to-dos. I mean, so I wouldn't rule it out. That's. <laughs> I thought it might be a little too uh, I think that's the only joke there. I, can, I can make about that. And then... The reason I wanted to do the whole case was because the guy's name was John Wayne Glover. And I just feel so like that's so funny because like he killed all these people and he's like, finally, I will be remembered. And then he's not even the most famous John Wayne G killer. Yeah, there are- <laughs> There's John Wayne Gacy and then like his little cousin, unremembered cousin, John Wayne Glover. Oh my like it just, gosh. I just found that so funny. But sadly, we're we're not doing that case. I know today. that was like that was like the first thing that caught my attention. It's like there's another killer named John Wayne. John Wayne G. That's don't that's, name your kids. It's that. actually he's the one they named the airport after. A lot of people think it's the actor. But no, <laughs> it's the it's the senior citizen. I feel murderer. like John Wayne's can only turn out really great or terrible. There's, I've never met a mediocre John Wayne or heard of a mediocre John Wayne. There's only the great and the bad. Yeah, and even the great one is pretty. He has his moments. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying. I, I, when you think of John Wayne, do you think of Genghis Khan? No, I think of like. Um, well, somebody did. And what? The, oh, you didn't know that John Wayne played Genghis Khan in a movie in no, Yellowface? I, I didn't. I thought he was just like a Western guy. 
like it, lasso. I hurt myself today. I mean, I know that's Johnny well, that's, Cash, but that's a great impression. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I can't believe. I think you're in the wrong industry. I think you got to go into voice acting. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I've been working on that for like eighteen years. That specific impression. <laughs> It shows. Those four words. It shows. You've been working on it. You put a lot of time. <laughs> okay. Well. A lot of people here right now, I don't know if you've taken editing at Chapman No, I yet. have not. A lot of people. So, like, apparently an assignment that every film student goes through when they're, like, in an editing class is they have to edit a sequence from Gunsmoke, the TV okay. show from, like, the 50s. Yeah, it's I've heard for, like, of it. 20 years. And it's the same sequence. Ooh. And everybody, like, in the editing lab that I was just in, everybody was editing Gunsmoke. And it's just so, like, everybody <laughs> hates Gunsmoke so That's much. So Chapman, funny. if you're listening, get rid of Gunsmoke. It's over. I thought you were going to say everyone has to edit just like, I Hurt Myself Today by Johnny Cash, just that one line. See, that would be a more fun editing assignment. But instead, you got to get Marshall Dillon going, like, you want to go with him, Abby? Or do you want to <laughs> stay here and dodge? At Dodge? At Dodge. Well, the city in Gunsmoke oh, yeah, is called Dodge. Oh, yeah, get the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. Yeah. That's... That's like the main, that's the most famous that's, line. Yeah, that's, yeah. And that's what everyone says here. When they graduate. Yeah. Getting the hell out of getting Dodge. Getting the hell out of Dodge. Nobody had that thought before today. Amazing. Yeah. We, we're coming up with so many like brand new topics that no one's ever thought of before today. Well, speaking of brand new topics no one's probably thought of today, let's talk about Megan Kanka. Don't, oh, do not spoil the ending of this. Hang on. <laughs> uh, no, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. I'm nervous that you already know what the big giveaway is here at the end. Go ahead. Keep going. Go what on. is it about? What was your thought about? No, I just wasn't. <laughs> this is, I, I don't know how this is going to sound, but I was not expecting the killer to be a woman. No, the killer's not a woman. Oh, wait. Megan Kanka is the victim. Oh. No, yeah, the killer is not a woman. Actually, women now, oh, really I'm don't disappointed. Women really don't murder people that much compared to men, which is kind of funny because like I don't believe that there's like like men want to murder people more. It's just like a weird thing. I mean, and when, when women kill people, they hardly they kill ever men. kill um children unless it's their own, their own and they mostly poison people. Yeah, usually like their abusive husbands. Uh some are just crazy. Like oh. there's this lady who kept poisoning the elderly. No, I didn't another say it. another one about poisoning elderly people. I was just like, no, I can't do those. It's just not not right. So anyway, then I chose this delightful case, which is just so much less harsh. No, it's just as bad. Well, uh, now I know that there's a twist ending coming. So yes, there is. Okay, I'm ready for this. So Megan Kanko was born in it Manhattan, New York. Oh, I wish. Manhattan, New York on December 7th, 1986. And eventually, when she got a little bit older, her family decided to move to the West Windsor Township in New Jersey. So not too far away from Manhattan, but they lived in like a suburb in New Jersey. Um, and then one Friday night, July 29th, 1994, Megan, who was only seven years old, decided to spend the day riding her bike around the street with her eight-year-old neighbor Mm. and Megan lived in like a very relaxed neighborhood like just a super chill suburb it was kind of like a very safe neighborhood nothing really ever happened there uh it's just a small town in New Jersey so her parents weren't particularly worried plus this is the 90s so it's not as like you know a little bit more safe than the 80s but really not like super um strict like today 
in terms of watching your kids. Yeah. Like people will literally. I was born in the 90s. I, I remember that. People are going to. St- when were you born? I was born in 95. Okay. Yeah. Just so almost uh, almost a year after this case. Yeah. Uh, almost a year exactly. This is July twenty ninth. I was born on July twenty fourth. Oh, that's crazy. Okay, so um, July twenty ninth, nineteen ninety four. She's spending the day riding her bike around with another neighbor. Um. Then when the neighbor gets home, Megan is last seen, and she's across the street chatting with her thirty three year old neighbor, uh, Jesse T. Timendicus. I'm going to assume that's how you pronounce it because really I could be so wrong, but there's just no way I'm going to get it better than that. And so she's talking to her neighbor. Uh, He was like cleaning his boat outside. He lived literally right across the street from Megan. Like you could see his house from their front yard. And he he was doing well. He had a boat. Yeah, he had a boat. And all of a sudden at like her parents are like, where's Megan? And that night at 8 p.m. her parents report her missing. And a gigantic search begins in this community. There were 500 police officers, 39 groups of firefighters, and volunteers all searching the three miles around Megan's house. Wow. And pe- like people made flyers. They handed out flyers. And they went like house to house asking if anyone had seen Megan Kanka. Because obviously she's only seven years old and she's just gone. Like her parents had no idea where she was. And um, Wait, what time was she last seen? In the morning. Like, around 10. She's seven years old, and her parents waited until 8 p.m. to report her missing? Yeah, because I I assume they thought she was just either, A, late to dinner or something else had gone on. But, like, I guess their first thought wasn't, like, to report it right away. I'm, like, trying to solve it while you're telling me that. So that's where my line of questioning is coming from. So, um, Mrs. Kanka, she even, like, went on TV and was, this is what she said, I quote, Please, please help us find our daughter. We want to bring her out safely. Whoever out there has her, she's a wonderful girl. She's only seven. Let her come back. So obviously it's like really tragic. Her parents are just freaked out looking for her. And Jesse Temendicus, the neighbor who Megan was last seen talking to, was arrested literally that night because they're like, okay, this is the last person who presumably saw her alive. Right. So he was arrested like pretty much immediately. And during his questioning, he's like, he cracked basically and said, do you want me to lead you to Megan's body? Oh. This random guy who just had happened to move in across the street from these people. And he's like, I know where the body is. What? He hadn't said he murdered her yet. But he knows where the body is. What are your thoughts thus far? She's on the boat. On the boat. Yeah. The boat's still in the he's driveway. The, he's cleaning the boat. He said, hey, you want to check out my clean boat? And then... I don't know what happened. I I was like, I, I mean, it made sense that he would be like, even he had to be like when he was arrested, he was like, yeah, of course I got arrested because I was the one who last talked to her. Like he can't have been, I can't imagine yeah. him being like upset. Yeah. So, so then he offers like, to lead the police to Megan's body. And um, basically I'm going to tell that piece as the right, uh, the rest of the story goes on. But he was on Monday, August 1st. So she went missing on a Saturday and on fr- well actually she went missing on a friday and then saturday he was arrested and then friday or monday he was arraigned on charges of homicide and that's when they started like looking back into his history they were like who is this guy that randomly moved in here wait did you say they found her body or like he led them? i'm i'm gonna, okay, get, you're gonna to get there i'm sorry so he was arraigned on charges of homicide and mercer county which is obviously where they were in new jersey they start 
looking back into his history and they realized that he had already been convicted twice for sexual assault in Middlesex County. Oh. Which is not only a weird name for a county, but also like they had no idea, but he'd already like he was already basically a convicted rapist. Right. And is that in New Jersey? In yeah, in New Jersey. Okay. And in nineteen eighty two he'd actually been sentenced to sentenced to 10 years at the Adult Diagnostic and Treatment Center, which is basically, as I put in my notes, prison for pedophiles. Like he had spent 10 years at a treatment facility for pedophiles and the sexual assault charges in his past were pedophilic in nature. And he was released after six years for good behavior. Can I get a clap for that? For being out of jail four years early for raping kids. I hate everything. I feel like if you do that, you don't qualify for good behavior anymore. No. Clearly, your behavior is very bad. Yeah. Which is why you're in prison. And it makes no sense to let people like that out. And uh, yeah, I could go on a whole rant about that. But, you know. So then they look into the rest of Jesse's life and they start looking at like who he lives with. He has two roommates, right? So they're looking into into their backgrounds. And they look at one of his roommates, Joseph Cefeli. And they found out he's also a convicted Stop. pedophile. Also convicted sex offender who had been in the same prison pedo- pedophile, wait, no, prison for pedophiles for nine years after admitting that he had been sexually abusing one of his family members since she was nine years old. All right. The third roommate. Was there like a club? The third roommate's name was Brian R. Jenin, and he had been a convicted sex twice offender. convicted for raping young boys. And he had also um, him on August sixth, literally five days after this, they uh, Jesse Timendicus and uh, Brian Jenin were put under investigation for the murder of two boys in San Diego. Yeah. In San Diego. And they yes. were in New Jersey. Yes. They had all met in pedophile prison and had decided to move into this nice suburban area filled with kids right across the street from Megan and on a street where lots of other little kids lived. The, okay, it, in 1994, didn't they have to... Wasn't it still the law then to like you have to report as like, hey, I'm a convicted sex offender if you move into that kind of place? We will get there. I hope no one pulls a soundbite of me saying the phrase "I'm a convicted sex offender" and like and <laughs> no, puts it on like a soundboard or something. I hope you'll be okay. But um, during a bail hearing, while uh, under questioning, Jesse uh, basically confessed to raping and strangling seven-year-old Megan Kinka. Basically, he Jesse, admitted that he did it. Jesse's Jesse the Tim Mendicus, the guy who the we were talking guy. about with the two pedophile roommates. The names are very um, similar but unique, so I might ask you to. Clarify which one they are. No problem. So um, basically then he recounted to the court exactly what had happened that night. And that is what I will be telling you now. So basically when she had been talking to him while he was standing by his boat, he told her that he had a puppy in his bedroom and that she would have to come inside if she wanted to see it. So she went upstairs because she thought there was a dog. And of course, she's seven years old. She's going to follow anyone who says they have a puppy. She follows him upstairs. And once she was inside his room, he started trying to molest her. But then she started screaming and fighting him. And so he started hitting her in the head. And he hit her so hard that he knocked her onto the floor where she hit her head again. And then um, after she was on the floor, obviously bleeding at this point in his room, 
Uh, he used one of his belts to tighten around her neck until she had passed out. And then after she had passed out, he raped her, which like, obviously this whole thing is terrible, but there's a part of me that's like, I'm glad at least that she wasn't conscious for that because it's just so like horrible that I'm glad that she didn't have to actually feel the pain of that. It's right. just like <sighs> so bad. But, um, he used a belt to, until she passed out, then he started raping her and after the assault, when he saw that she was still breathing, he wrapped her head in plastic bags so that her blood wouldn't continue to stain his floor. And then he took like this t- toy box that he used to store his tools in and he took the tools out and he stuffed her body in this box, like a small box. And then he in the took- house? Huh? In the house? Yeah, in the house. All of this is this. still- In his bedroom. So, obviously, his roommates are hearing stuff, but just, I mean, they wouldn't care. And so, he then takes the box to Mercer County Park, and he dumps it in this, like, covered area next to a porta potty And when he gets home, like, he leaves the box there with Megan's body in it, and she dies of suffocation in this box after being strangled. Um, And so... He gets home and he saws that there's like this search happening. So he gets ammonia and puts it on everything in his room to cover all the blood and and like hopefully get rid of every piece of evidence that Megan was even in his room. But since he was the last person who was seen talking to her, he was still arrested, obviously. And um, that's basically what he told the court when he got there that day. And he was just he just obviously people were stunned and horrified because it's just like everything about it is a nightmare scenario like a person who clearly cares so little about human life that they're willing to take the body of a little girl and like just put it in a box like a person who is willing to rape like a seven-year-old like everything about it is nightmare everything about it is the reason that i'm okay with the death penalty for some people because i just don't like for me personally, I don't think people like that should be allowed to live because he was already in jail for six years, came out for quote unquote good behavior. Right. And then look, he just goes goes and does it again. Like it's clearly like some sort of disease that he's never going to be able to be a normal person. And like if I was Megan's parents, like I, how do you get over that? Just knowing like it's bad enough that your kid died and it's like double as bad knowing the torture that your kid went through and like the violation i can't imagine like them sitting there in the courtroom and they're like either he's saying it or like somebody is reading this confession and the parents just have to listen to this and not desperately try to hold their composure because but like yeah oh my god yeah and the fact that i mean he was clearly not even trying to hide it like he did the ammonia thing but then like as soon as he got arrested it was like yeah i did it it's just because, yeah. like... And like you said, just blatant disregard for human life. Like, didn't care what happened. Like, just... Yeah, and the roommates who were clearly, like, accessories to murder. And the fact that he could have already m- murdered two other boys in San Diego. And the fact that, like, why would you let these people... Like, the thing is that if someone rapes a child, like... Clearly, there's something wrong with them that prison or, you know, or rehabilitation is most likely not going to fix. Like, well, and the way that you 
described the the pedophile prison like the, or at least the title that like the the formal title makes it sort of sound like it's like re- rehabilitative in some way. Yeah. Like and I just don't think like you hear of so many cases of pedophiles where they go in and then they come out and they just do the same thing. Because it's not it's not like a it's like the urge that some people right. have is just something wrong in their brain. Do it's, we do we know I don't know if you happen to look into this like the statistics of recidivism for pedophiles? You no, know, I don't know, but I I definitely cuz I feel like it's higher. You know, let me other. actually look it up right now and then I'll cut out the space so this will be instantaneous for you guys. Hold on. Okay, kind of mad like, at I'm kind of mad at the New York Times right now because A, I don't think they have that statistic like just generally I don't think they would have that statistic because right. probably a lot of people are caught anyway. Yeah. But B, this this like New York Times article is like people. One of the quotes in it is people don't choose what arouses them. They discover it's, it. Yeah. It's oddly I'm sympathetic. Kind of, yeah. I'm kind of confused, New York Times, of what the hell this is, because I understand that like people are born being pedophilic. But does that mean that we should not discourage it? No. It means you should heavily discourage it. And like. Just like, say, yeah. if that's the only thing that turns you on, sucks just, to be you. Just Sorry. because it occurs naturally or whatever, like, you, you don't accept good. it like it's a yeah, normal part Yeah, and I feel bad for the LGBT community, too, because have you seen all the articles and stuff about how pedophiles were trying to include themselves in LGBT? Like, they made a flag and everything, and were saying, like, pedophilia oh, is, this, like, like, a sexuality. or something? Yeah, they were like, pe- pedophilia is a sexuality, and, like, it should be accepted just like homosexuality. Yeah. And I was like, except one require is two consenting adults, regardless of anyone else's view on it, it's two consenting adults, and one is a terrifying adult wanting to take advantage of a child. Right. So let's not even compare that, you f- absolute fools. And, and I read an article last year, I think it was also in the New York Times, coincidentally, it was a, a profile of priests and like members of clergy who are closeted gay men and like the stigma that's tied to like catholic church sex abuse mm-hmm. and like they're not they're not pedophiles that's two separate but they topics. happen to yeah they just that's happen to be gay. and like they things. they don't feel like they can come out because of this stigma that's tied in this scandal <sighs> which is just like it's such a complex situation for them to like yeah you know and did you hear boy scouts got shut down too because of pedophilia oh, good. charges or like sexual abuse charges. It's just so. Well, I remember when I was, a, when I was a kid, I was in the Cub Scouts uh, very briefly because I did not belong in the Cub Scouts. But <laughs> It's like my boyfriend. He also did only Cub Scouts and then nothing else. Yeah. I remember I did the, like the Pinewood Derby. Like I built my little cart and I lost all the races and I was like, <laughs> you know what? I don't think this is for me. But I remember in like the Cub Scout manual, like this is like the guy, they had a lot of information about like what to do if a predator comes up to you and like the signs of like here's what they'll try to say and here's what sh- what you should I mean, do good they were react. telling you but like yeah, you but can't also, really do anything you're a child at that point like yeah. aren't cub scouts like five yeah and also their organization kind of got shut down for perpetuating that kind of behavior <sighs> so you know it's just like it's weird i mean they're obviously not going to print in their handbook pro pedophilia messaging no but still it's like it's just, yeah, it's disgusting. Like, no matter, I, I know a lot of people are like, is pedophilia going to be the thing that, like, in 30 years, well, not a lot of people, but I've heard some people say, 
is pedophilia going to be the thing in 30 years we look back and said, I can't believe we didn't accept that. And I'm like, if that is true, that is not the society I want to live in. Right. Because it's just like, it's so clearly and utterly wrong and disgusting. Like, there's just no two ways about it. And it oftentimes is coupled with a violent urge. And and any, like, correlation between that and, like, you know, other sexualities is always just comes from a place of, like, hatred and bigotry towards them. So, like, lumping it in with, like, LGBTQ individuals. Well, it was like, the pedophiles that were trying to lump themselves in. Yeah. And I was like, you are, you can't, no. like, that's not, it's just, it's disgusting. It's not right. Like, it's never been right. It never will be right. And if it is, like, I just, I'm very deeply upset about that. Like, even if it is natural, it doesn't mean you should encourage it. Like, it should be heavily discouraged. And a lot you know, of times I think it probably isn't very natural. You know, child marriage is still legal. In all 50 states. We we hate child marriage on this podcast. Yeah. We are, taking you know. A, a, a taking, firm stance I'm taking, against <laughs> child marriage. I gotta t- there's just three things I take, four things I take a firm stance on. I'm sorry if these are uh, really controversial. I'm anti-pedophilia, anti-child marriage, anti-coronavirus, and anti-murder. I'm sorry if that alienates any of my audience, but that's just the way I feel. <laughs> you know what? If it alienates anybody in your audience, I think that's probably for the Good best. riddance. Yeah. But... <laughs> But yeah, it's just like I, I, I hope it didn't come off as like an endorsement. Like, yeah, you know, in all fifty states, you can get. No, it didn't. It's just yeah. so like it disgusts me. The yeah. only, honestly, like it gives me a little faith in humanity to read about how, um, like, even in prison, pedophiles get will are way more likely to get like oh, beat up yeah. or killed they're in prison. The lowest form of life in prison. And I love the fact that even people who are like robbers or just like people who assault other people like beat people up and stuff like the some and even like murderers and rapists and like the worst people it will not rapists because they're technically included in this rapists also get beat up in prison right but like the worst people all of them know that like pedophiles deserve to be they agree that this group is worse and that just gives me the smallest bit of faith in humanity i have to say it Like that just it gives me a little bit of faith to know that everyone is like, yeah, those people are like the scum of the earth because it's like children and animals are like the most innocent people, things on the planet. And to like take advantage of that is just like that's pure evil. That's why I feel like it's easier to show no mercy towards a pedophile or a rapist. Because you just think evil. Even the people who, you know, something in their brain tells them to kill and they still look at that person and go. You sickened me. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone is sickened by yeah. people that abuse other people and just, uh, yeah, discuss me. Don't abuse other people. Just leave people alone. Like, I know it's a catchphrase of the show, but just don't do horrible things. Like, just don't do them. It's so, it, it should be so easy to not do them. Like, and so much better not to do them. That's John Mulaney quote. But it's so much better, like, to just... You know, like, as my king, Harry Styles says, treat people with kindness. Like, it'll make you feel ten times better to just be a good person in the long yeah. run. Like, that's just a fact. That's true. I've been a bad person, and I've been a good person. And being a good person is always better. Yep. Yep. Might not be more gratifying in the instant moment, but you know what? Yeah, sometimes. When you work hard for something, it's way more rewarding. It's difficult to be a good person sometimes. It like, is. We can, we can agree on that, but... It's worth it. It is for worth everybody. So, guys, it. just be a good person. That's basically what I'm trying to say. It's you know, just put yourself in positions where you just do good things. So, um, 
like I said, August 1st, he's arraigned for homicide. Tuesday, August 2nd, almost 10,000 residents of the small township in New Jersey rally in Veterans Memorial Park to support legislation called Megan's Law, which required that a community oh. be notified if a convicted sexual offender was in a neighborhood. And Marine uh, Kanko was one of like the main speakers at this event. Um, Megan's funeral was held Wednesday, August 3rd, 1994, because after he told them where the body was, they went and found her body in the box and they did confirm that she had been raped and strangled. And it was where he said it was. It was where he said it was. Um, and her on October 3rd. So her funeral was held Wednesday, August 3rd, 1994, October 3rd, 1994, nine bills that are to this day known as Megan's law were passed in New Jersey and are pretty much in place in the rest of the United States, which basically says it's the law you were talking about earlier right. when you were like, don't you have to be notified if a sex offender moves into your neighborhood? That's you do this. now because of Megan's law. Wow. And on October 19th, 1994, Jesse Tim Mendicus was indicted and found guilty of murder and sentenced to death, Good. which I'm like... Um, and then today, like, like I said, all these laws are in place all over the U S and Megan Nicole, the Megan Nicole Kanka foundation has also been founded and it's a nonprofit charity that's dedicated to preventing crimes against children, obviously named in honor of Megan. And, um, I mean, everyone knows Megan's law. Like, even if you don't know the name of it per se, I feel like everyone's heard of the stories of like, you can go online and check if there's any sex offenders in your neighborhood. Right. And, like, they can't tell exactly, but obviously, like, m- probably countless lives have been saved by just people being able to keep their kids out of trouble. And just, like, this is a f- this is a thing, like, there is a sex offender registry for a reason. And, like, people should be able to know where their kids are safe and where their kids aren't safe. And so it is just a bummer that, like, obviously Megan Megan's death uh, had to happen. I mean, I don't think it should have happened, but that's what it took for legislation to finally be, like... Yeah, if, we need to make sure our kids are safe. If, yeah, if there is one little bit of silver lining, that would be it. But it, it is a bummer that it wasn't just like, we should tell people if there's a sex offender like near a school. Like it didn't it occur seems, to people. Yeah, it seems like it would be common sense, but clearly the public wanted it. And there's a Megan's Law in California. Megan's Law, uh, like pretty much, I think in all 50 states, Megan's Law is in place. If it's but, not, it should be. It's just, yeah, it's a bummer, but at least, like, Megan's legacy lives on in both the foundation right. and in this law that's going to be around forever. And it's just, um, if you look at pretty much every single um, bill that's been passed to protect kids from from pedophiles and from sexual assault, almost every single law is named after a kid who has died so that they could get this bill passed. Right. And it's it's sad, but I think there is an importance in telling these stories and knowing like the importance of these laws. And when you say like Megan's law, knowing Megan Kinka, that's that's an actual person who like right. lived and died so that like and deserves to be remembered right. it, like and had too short of a life. It puts the face to like that. This is what, like I remember the other day I was walking down the street right, right up the street here in Orange and I got an Amber Alert on my phone. And it's like, you know, and it, a lot of people I think are dismissive I, of those kinds of like yeah. alerts that you get, and they go to everybody like it's instantaneous. And I did a case on Amber. 
Yeah. Amber Hagerman was a real, yeah, yep, real person. It's just, I want to continue doing these series because I just, I really feel like there is, it's good to have, put a face to a name. Uh, Yeah, especially like, because we're both journalists. So, I mean, that's why we're here is to, you know, shine light on these kinds of stories that are, that affect real people and like the kind of change that is as a result of, you know, something good that can come out of a, a horrible, unforgivable act. Yeah. And it still has an everlasting And the guy still got punished, which we love. But it's just like Megan's Law has saved so many kids. And it really is a bummer that like we we had to see this case happen in order to get this legislation to be in place. It, it, it's such a bummer. But, you know, like Megan, uh, the Megan Nicole Kanka Foundation does amazing work. Like highly recommend if you're looking for a place to put your charitable donations, yeah. like, and you are very passionate about keeping kids safe. Like that's, I would go for that. It's a great foundation. Um, but just like, I think it's, yeah, I just think it's so interesting to, to hear about these cases and like the long lasting effects of like, what are we, do we all know today because of a case that happened 20, 30 years ago. And interestingly enough, when I was looking this up, I saw that in the UK, there's a law called Sarah's Law, which follows the basic principles, like almost the exact same thing as Megan's Law. And it's because when uh, there's this girl named Sarah Payne, and when she was eight years old, she was abducted and murdered by a sex offender named Roy Whiting uh, when she was on her way home from school. And he also lived in her neighborhood. And her abduction led to demands that the public be able to access the sex offenders registry in the UK. So for everyone in all of the UK listeners out there, your version of Megan's law is Sarah's law. And that's also based on a true case, very similar to Megan's of the family, not knowing that there was a sex offender in the neighborhood, not knowing who to watch out for. And then after she was abducted and sexually assaulted and murdered, there was huge outcry just from the community at large. Like, if there's one thing that people can rally behind, right. it's hating pedophiles. <laughs> and so the community um, in Sarah's town just like united behind wanting to be able to access, wanting to see who was living in their neighborhood, who's their next door neighbor. And so the UK has Sarah's law and the US has Megan's law, both based on real people. And it's just, it's crazy to see. It's how sad, you, but. How do you feel about, I remember reading a case a couple years ago where there was like this sheriff or sheriff's deputy in Georgia, I believe, that was like I, putting, do you remember this case? The trick-or-treating? Yeah, it was like putting, he was putting signs up in convicted sex offenders' yards to say, kids, go away, don't go to this house. But like he did it on his own accord. I feel like that's okay. I feel like on okay. Halloween, especially, not every yeah. parent is going to check the sex offender registry before they go to every single house. And like, especially like if, if you're like, even if you're like 12, 13, you might be going out on your own like with a group of friends but yeah like exactly still. and i just feel like um well if you're a convicted sex offender for like raping a kid it's probably best that people know not to send their kid to your door yeah because it's just yeah i just think better to be safe than sorry and uh i don't particularly feel bad for those people so yeah that's a consequence you have volunteered for when you decide to commit such yeah. a heinous act. Like it's one thing if you're 18 years old and you have sex with someone who's 17 consensually and it's called and you get registered as a sex offender. That's one thing where a sexually assaulting a child or even like a young teen or an, even an older teen, if you're like an older person or it's unconsensual or unconsensual or anything like screw you. I don't feel bad. This is a, a story that happened to me a couple of years ago. I'm I'm going to be as vague as possible because I don't want to. 
you know, identify any of the individuals involved. But I had a job offer where one of my potential coworkers was a convicted sex offender or like a registered sex offender. And it was a job where we were working with kids and like what? they didn't tell the parents, they didn't tell anyone. And like once it came to light, like the person in charge of hiring was like trying to defend like his decision for hiring this person. And I was like, no, you, you everybody who was like decent was like, no, like you get rid of this profession. person. And like I had some people were telling me like it was like a lesser charge, like, you know, but it it it, it doesn't necessarily like make it like I get the point I that you're saying. I understand like, not wanting your kids around that person for sure. I think there's very few cases where you're like, okay, I can see. Because I get like if two people have consensual sex, but it's statutory rape and they're like one year apart. Well, like I, I, I knew people that. like in high school who like one of them was older than the other. And like after they graduated, you know, so they had yeah. been together for a long time. Still so not great. Little, Better no. to just avoid the gray right. fit. Just Let's wait just, till the person turns 18. Exactly. Just to keep that on the record. Just wait. We're, let's make clear. We're not saying that there are better cases of pedophilia and like there there are not degrees of pedophilia it's like it's yeah. either pedophilia or it's not yeah so on that happy note i think it's time to transition into our favorite segment on this show oh. happy things isn't that just a great noise i it love is. it it's immediately uplifting yeah <laughs> so um on this section of the show, basically, we just say one good thing that happened in our week or one good thing that's going to happen in our, in our week, like something that you're excited about or just one like good thing to kind of do a kicker. Um, I'm excited about. So I'm in um, a TV class right now. It's a multicam broadcast class. So we work like in the control room and we put on like live broadcasts and whatnot. And we just found out this weekend that we have the opportunity to go to the Kids' Choice Awards. I'm going the, to the Kids' Choice Awards. You're going to the Kids' Choice Awards? I'm going to the Kids' Choice Awards, too. Wait, what? are you in Steve's class? I'm in Steve's class. I'm in Steve's class. Whoa. But I'm an intro. He that was my, our high five. I was, yeah. I'm an intro to studio production. I'm so excited. We're going to see Glenn Weiss, who's my hero. Oh, my God. I love He has the job Weiss. I want. But... Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Okay, continue. I, yeah, I love that. And like I grew up watching the kids' show. I grew up like when Nickelodeon was really about <laughs> yeah. like yeah. getting slimed and like all the Nickelodeon game shows. I can't speak highly enough of Nickelodeon game shows that like <laughs> most people have never heard of. Like check them out if you have like Legends of the Hidden Temple, Nickelodeon Guts, Figure It Out, Double Dare. Like, oh my I, gosh, you were a real Nickelodeon oh, stan. I was. I was. I was alive at peak Nickelodeon. Like that's amazing. Like 1999. Through like 2005 was like peak Nickelodeon. That is and amazing. And I remember all of it. And so the fact that I get to go, I remember Slime Time Live. <laughs> Do you remember this? Slime this was like, Time Live. So no. on, so on MTV in the 90s and like the early 2000s, I think they had a show called TRL, which was like Total Request Live. I think it was basically like people would request they play certain music videos during this show, and Slime Time Live was the same thing for Nickelodeon but they would play like Nickelodeon shows and they would it was in Nickelodeon Studios at Universal Studios Florida. Ooh. And they had like a live show and they would have like games. It was hosted by a guy named Dave Azer. I remember this so vividly cuz he's like an ESPN broadcaster now or something. What? Like he's legit. And they would have like family games and there was a lot of like the green like Nickelodeon slime that everybody knows and 
it was just it, it, everything like it was like the Nickelodeon universe just existed together and I grew up That's in amazing. love with that. So getting to go meet potentially meet Glenn Weiss and watch the Kids Choice Awards is like the culmination of my child. Like everything was leading up to this moment. I am very, very very excited like that was gonna be my happy thing too really because i want to like my dream job is to be directing live events oh i love directing live events like that's that's my dream job is to direct on a concert tour and just like i mean obviously podcasting is like my dream dream job but my real my like realistic dream (laughs) job is to um be directing on concert tours and like i just i like i'm I love Glenn Weiss. I've watched mm-hmm. videos of Glenn Weiss on YouTube for like years and I just Director on Fire. Yeah, Director on Fire. We all did you watch that in yeah. Steve's class? Yeah. He, he showed it to me when I took it in the intro class and he showed it to us when we took the advanced class too. Yeah, I just like I am such a big fan of like he did the Oscars. Like he's yeah. done everything and I'm just so excited to like potentially meet him and did also like see someone direct a real live like award show. I'm just Did he show oh you Lewis Horvitz? Yes. So this is the, the guy who directed the Emmys and then accepted. while accepting the Emmy for directing the Oscars. It's amazing. And I just like, I, I'm i so excited for that possibility because it's just like, fine. I feel like Steve more, uh, our professor's name is Steve Herson. I feel like more than any professor I've ever had, Steve like gets what I want to do and yeah. like wants to help give He's everyone opportunities to like make that actually, that career a reality. And I'm yeah. just like, he was I'm guy, so excited. He was the guy I went to when I was directing like CSBN broadcasts. Yeah. Like when I needed help because like when I did, when I directed that football game, that was, I directed uh, two assignments in his intro class and then I was directing the football broadcast. That's amazing. So it's like he helped me out. He like gave me a ton of notes and criticism and it's just like, I love instructors like that who are so yeah. involved and like really want their students to succeed. Yeah, he so really I'm cares. I'm really excited for this opportunity. He's one of my favorite professors Shout that I've ever Steve had. Person. Shout out to Steve Person. We love you, Steve. But um, on that note, I think it's time to end this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Horrible Things. If you want to find us on a day when it's not a Tuesday, you can go ahead and find us online at Horrible Things Podcast on pretty much every social media platform. Or if you want to donate monetarily, you can find us online at patreon.com slash horrible things. If you want to support, go ahead and go to Apple Podcasts and you can find us. Uh, You can leave a rate and a review. I read them all. I appreciate them all. And I will give you double love. You know what? Just for this episode only, everyone who goes and leaves a review on the podcast on apple Podcasts. i will say your name and personally thank you in the next episode oh god i hope i remember that but basically just thank you guys Imagine so all much all the people leaving five star reviews <laughs> and then immediately after you forget one stars i can't she just nothing but broken promises oh god that's the real horrible thing but you know what all i have to say to you guys is that even if you don't leave a rate even if you don't leave a review thank you so much for listening thank you so much for sharing all the karebits i expect to be listening to this thank you so much for being here for listening to the podcast for sticking it through to the end i appreciate each and every one of you guys and i hope that you come back for next week's episode and i just gotta say guys if you go to nyu watch out for timothy chalamet yeah and you know what it's not always easy to be a good person but it's the best thing you can be but most importantly don't Don't do do horrible horrible things. things